Well, these last few weeks have truly produced some new normals in all of us. I mean, you talk about doormat, baked good deliveries, one-way aisles at the grocery store. I'm still learning that. Ordering curbside takeout and even learning new languages like curves and distancing. Here are some images from my new normal. I, I did puzzles with Mr. Rogers. I reached back to my childhood and even did a Lego. And then I spend the day in Zoom meetings. I mean, like many of you, all day with my team and with people. And then I reconfigured my garage office space so I could sit in my garage. My wife likes it better anyway. And with all of these new normals, we're still not completely sure what 30 days out looks like or even what 60 days out looks like and even six months out. And so we have a couple options today at this moment. We can either spend all our time yearning for what we're missing from the old normal, and I'm doing plenty of that, or we can begin planning and living for what the new normal will be. And is it possible that your old normal really wasn't that great? Is it possible at the speed at which you were living, the money you found yourself spending, the activities you were prioritizing, the relationships you were managing, even the job you may have found yourself hating, really, really weren't as amazing as you thought? And most importantly, really weren't as in line with God's purpose as you had hoped? I'm just asking the question. Because some of us are going to make the mistake of longing and yearning and pushing towards what we have known when God is working right now to lead us towards what we have truly needed. Now, of course, we all want to go back to work. We want to go back to gathering together. We miss that. Back to many of the norms that make up our life. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But what I am suggesting and what I believe God would be inviting us towards is a new normal that will leave us transformed and marked by this season we have experienced. In this series, we're revisiting the narrative of Jesus' life, and it's so timely for us because we too are in a season that's marked by change. Jesus' arrival marked a time of transition. Things were suddenly shifting. The old was passing away. The kingdom of God had come because the king had arrived. And in many ways, our old feels like it's passing away which gives us pause and disrupts us a bit. But at the same time, we can be excited because the new is arriving and that should get our attention. But just like those who were following and hearing about and observing this new kingdom that Jesus was announcing, we're also still asking questions about what this pandemic experience truly means. We're all developing these new emotional muscles and mindsets we didn't even know we needed, but we need them now. And so it's so timely that we've jumped into this series looking at the book of Mark because it's all about a people confronted with what they thought they wanted, but now they're, they're not so sure that this new kingdom is actually what they want. Now remember, Mark's narrative is actually Peter's account of Jesus' life, dictated to his close friend later in his life. So this is firsthand stuff we're hearing about. Last week, Shane talked about the miraculous healing of a man with leprosy. And when word spread about this healing, so many people started showing up that Jesus actually strategically had to isolate a bit. He had to stay outside of the city because everywhere they went, Peter says this, people came. But at some point, as we've learned, supplies will begin to run out. This is probably the case with Jesus and his followers as they were outside the city. Now, 
I'm sure it wasn't the same sort of supply shortage we've been experiencing. I read recently that we've moved from short supplies of toilet paper and Lysol wipes to a shortage of hair color. People frantically trying to cover up that gray. Peter doesn't tell us exactly, but it seems reasonable to assume that they had to restock. So they head back to the nearest major city of Capernaum, which many believe acted as sort of a base of ministry for Jesus. And unlike wealthier towns, Capernaum did not have an outdoor market or paved streets. They were made up of pathways that were six to 10 feet wide, crooked and disorganized, more like alleyways than streets. This is where they found themselves. And eventually Jesus finds himself as the invited guest in a very large home. And while he's there, he begins to teach. And people, of course, hear that Jesus is in town. And they start showing up in massive numbers. Many are desperate for physical healing, while others are just desperate for authentic teaching. Have you ever invited someone over and pretty early on in the evening, you begin to regret it? Maybe they just aren't that interesting, or maybe they're just too weird or too awkward. And it quickly turns into one of those long, long evenings. Usually those people also can't seem to take the hint that it's time to go. We kindly call them EGRs, extra grace required. If you've never met any EGRs, you may be one. Well, when this homeowner invited this rabbi Jesus over for dinner, I'm sure he didn't know what he was signing up for because now people begin to fill up the house. They're uninvited. They're hanging on the window seals. They're parking all over the street. They're walking on the lawn. They're, they're tearing up the flower gardens. If there was an HOA in this neighborhood, all the rules would have been violated. And Peter describes it this way. He says, so many gathered that there was no room left. No room. Not even outside the door. And Jesus preached the word to them. And what did he preach? The same thing he had already been saying. The time has come. This is what you've been waiting for. The kingdom of God has come near. Now face it and embrace it. Embrace this new way of thinking, this new way of living, this new way of prioritizing, this new way of even seeing God and seeing yourselves and others. Jesus said, embrace this new normal. And as he was sharing this radical message, we learned this, that some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. They have this, this mat. It was known as a crabados, probably more like a pallet than a bed, one holding each corner. And they arrive and the crowd is so thick that they can't even get to the door. I mean, people are trying to listen and they are not budging. The men aren't sure what to do. So they just turn around and, and they go home. That's not what they did at all. Because when you have a chance to encounter Jesus and there's a few people blocking the way, that shouldn't be a deterrent. They will not be denied and they will be innovative. Remember, Peter was there for this moment and he's relating the story back to Mark years later. And I can just see him at this point getting animated as he's telling it. He says, we couldn't believe it. Jesus is there. He's teaching in the middle of the house, this really nice house and it's quiet. And then all of a sudden there's this banging and stuff is dropping from the ceiling and people are looking up, freaking out. Because, he says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through. 
And then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. I really wish Peter had given us a bit more detail. Like I would have loved for him to describe the reaction of the homeowner. He'd not requested a skylight. This was an expensive home. One of the accounts of the story says that it was a tile roof. So they must have been pulling those tiles off. And a ray of light begins flooding into the room and everyone looks up. And when Jesus looks up, the first thing he sees is four faces peering down at him. One of my fave picks from a Mexico home build a few years ago is this one. As we were constructing the roof, someone was looking up as the sheeting was going down on top of this new home for this family in Mexico. And the sun is shining through. And every time I see this picture, it always reminds me of this story we're talking about today. Except for the fact construction wasn't happening, deconstruction was taking place. In her beautiful poem, Cure of the Paralytic, Irene Zimmerman tells the story through the voice of one of the friends who's on the roof, who remembers it this way. We lower the litter and swung ourselves down in a rain of dust and straw. And now the crowd is hushed. Jesus stops teaching. All eyes are on him and on this paralyzed man. For a moment, Imagine this man and what normal life was like for him. His entire life is lived on a mat, probably three feet wide and six feet long. Someone has to feed him, carry him, clothe him, clean him, move him to keep him from being covered with bed sores. He would never know the sense of independence that we all crave so fiercely. Nothing can be medically done, no surgeries, therapy, or rehab. There's no way for him to actually really contribute to society. In those times, anyone going through life in his condition had to go through life as a beggar, laid by the side of the road every day, dependent on people dropping a few coins beside him in order to live another day. Oh, he dreams. Sometimes he dreams he has a healthy body. He dreams he walks and he runs. He does good work. Perhaps he's married and he plays with his children. But then he wakes up and he stares at the ceiling of his room he can never walk out of. He looks at his body that has left him a prisoner and he cringes at the sight of this mat that comprises his entire world. And he knows he will never be free. He has no money, no job, no education, and seemingly no future. But he does have one thing that we just learned. He has friends. He doesn't just have friends. He has amazing friends. He has a killer small group. That's right. The entire story takes place because of his friends. Without his friends, he never makes it to Jesus. He never gets healed. He never gets forgiven. He never experiences his new normal. They care so much about their friend, so much that they're willing to make a spectacle of themselves. They risk angering Jesus by destroying this house. They don't care. They want healing for their friend. One of the things we've all learned during this time of isolation is the place and the priority of relationships and how that plays out in our lives. We're leaning into this creativity. We're leaning into it creatively right now with, with birthday parades and virtual meetups, but we're also all missing that personal connection that we crave so desperately. So these friends, they climb up on the roof, they hoist up their friend, they begin tearing apart this structure to let their buddy down into the room. 
The Greek language here actually says they unroofed the roof. I think that's awesome. Perhaps some of the crowd, seeing the man's condition and sensing the motives of the friend, they start actually directing and saying, hand him down to me. Uh, Bring him this way. Don't let him fall. And the sight of all this brings a strong response. As Peter tells us what Jesus did, Jesus saw their faith. They hadn't said anything, but Jesus was moved by what he saw. And what he saw was their faith. How do you you see faith? I think it's the same thing we observed with the leper. They were confident that Jesus could heal and they were hopeful that he would heal. And when Jesus sees their faith, he said to the paralytic man the following words, son, your sins are forgiven. And when he says this, everyone close probably let out a verbal gasp in the room. The paralyzed man himself was probably surprised. So were his friends looking down on the scene. You see, forgiving sins, this is something that's reserved only for God. And that's not even what he had dropped in for. He wanted healing. This was stunning. Jesus is announcing that this man's sins are forgiven. And there's no sacrifice. There's no priest. There's no trip to the temple. These religious experts that are standing around, they're so confused. How do we know that? Because Peter sensed it. And he tells us their thoughts. He says this. Why, this is what they're thinking. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, none of them even had a category for this. They were so confused and angry. And then Jesus looks right at them and he says to them, why are you thinking these things? He, 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 he reads their mind. He says, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. Remember, Illness and sickness in Jesus' time was widely thought to be a result of sin. And paralysis was considered a stain. And it meant exclusion from men's social settings. So the forgiveness of sins would have been a blessing for this man to hear and a cause for celebration. And this idea that illness and sin is connected wasn't just a Jewish perspective, but was very common among the pagan religions of the day. They viewed an illness or a disease as a sign that God was not pleased with you, that God was punishing you or he was angry with you. So as the man lay on his mat, many in the community who knew him would have associated his paralysis with sin, either in his life or someone close to him. In other words, something is wrong with you because you did something wrong. That was the thought and the concept in that day. But Jesus, he completely rejects that view. We learn that through his ministry. He held to more of a Genesis view that on the heels of sin, it's true, sickness and death did enter the human experience. That sin opened the door to sickness and death. So there's a relationship between the two, but it's not a one-to-one correlation with the individual that's affected. We know that because we've seen the wicked, they remain healthy and live long lives. And we've seen the righteous, they get sick and they die. And that makes no sense at all to us. Now, side note, we've heard some of that flawed theology during this pandemic. And I wanna caution you. When you hear Christians saying things like that, That's not a Christian perspective they're using, but rather even a pagan one. You see, God is in the middle of what we're experiencing. But 
to blame or credit God for this is both dangerous and missing the point. And that's why Peter tells us what Jesus said next. And what Jesus said matters so much. He said this, but I want, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he uses the term son of man. That would have been a term they knew well. He was referring to himself as the Messiah, which is also offensive. I want you to know we have an authority on earth to forgive sins. He's saying the only way you would know that someone had that authority and that power would be to physically reverse what they all believed was the consequence of sin. He's leaning into their flawed assumption to prove his most important point about himself. So he says to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. This is a great moment. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This is Peter's way of saying, fact check. Everyone saw this. And, and the crowd's reaction reflected this. The crowd that wouldn't let him in, they part like the Red Sea as he's leaving, carrying his mat under his arm. Can you imagine the celebration that must have taken place in the street when that man made it outside and was reunited with his friends who had now jumped off the roof? They would be seen hugging and running and leaping as they headed back to their lives. But listen, not their old lives, not the old normal, but the new normal. Here's what Peter said. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Of course they hadn't. Because this was God's new normal. A homeowner offered his house and it unexpectedly became a place of healing. A group of committed friends did not prioritize their own needs, but thought only of the needs of their friend and they watched him stand and walk. A tribe of religious leaders, their embedded beliefs were challenged at the deepest levels, forcing them to come face to face with their God. And a group of random people from a town witnessed a miracle. They were stunned, never to be the same again. And we have the followers of Jesus, these early followers like Peter, James, and John, who had left everything and were now beginning to realize that they had stepped into something very unexpected. And finally, we have this man. Doesn't it always seem to come back to, to that, to the way that Jesus impacts one person and one life? A leper, a woman at the well, a tax collector sitting at his booth, a blind man begging by the road, and now this man, whose old normal was a mat, but not anymore. He would never be the same again. Now, <clears throat> let's bring it home. Right now, some of you may feel a bit like you're laying on life's mat. You're feeling paralyzed. So much information and noise swirling around. So many opinions on what's next. Perhaps even so many barriers as you think about your future. It's time for us to get in front of Jesus and to get up off of that mat. Don't stay there. Let me make a couple quick observations from this story as our lives are changing and as we stare into our own new normal. First of all, lean into the character of God that never changes. The character of God. The characteristics of God that we know, his mercy, his grace, his love, his care for us. These have not changed, even in our circumstances. He has not changed. So in this time of uncertainty, perhaps where your mat can even feel like a comfortable place to just remain. Realize we have a God who does not change and let that be a comfort and a motivation for you. Secondly, let's lean into the parts of you that God wants to change. 
One of my favorite axioms, I say way too much, is this. In the midst of chaos, there is ground to be gained. We just have to find it. So if that's true, it's up to you and it's up to me to find that ground. What is God wanting to change in you? What's he wanting to change in me during this time? And is that change happening? Are you allowing it to happen? Are you still clinging to your mat, the old normal? I trust that in the future, you'll look back on these weeks we've spent slowing down and drawing close and establishing new patterns and rhythm. And I hope that you will see ground gained for God. On Monday nights, I meet with my small group virtually, and we got on this topic last week. And we asked the question, if someone had told us four weeks ago that we'd get to spend four weeks, six weeks at home, we would have said, I would get to do this. I would work on this. We would embrace the moment, this hobby, this spiritual practice. But on our call, most of us admitted we hadn't done much of it. So before we concluded our group, we decided to say, it's not too late. Let's go. It's not too late to gain ground, to lean into the part that God wants to change. And finally, as we lean into the new normal, let's lean into it when others are drifting back into the old. Listen, people are always going to push back when the old norm fades into the new norm. Like the religious experts surrounding Jesus on that day. They'll try to hold on to the old. Well, I want to ask you, will you push through when others try to pull you back? Will you allow what God is doing in you during this time to become a permanent mark on who you are and how God is shaping you? This is a season that will mark us. How we are marked is up to you, and it's up to me. There are song lyrics you're about to hear in a moment, and they're so reflective of this season. They say this, I'm not afraid to show you my weaknesses, my failures, and my flaws. Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend, because the God of the mountain is the God of the valley, and there's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. So, what will emerge during this season in you? Will you allow his mercy and grace to find you again? What will begin to grow in your life? What will fill in the cracks of your heart that have been so present, those cracks, for so long you've just assumed they were permanent? Those places you've tried and I've tried to cover and hide. The flaws we've struggled to fill with, with things that didn't even begin to satisfy where has your heart been so damaged that now in this season of pause, this season of change, this is the perfect moment for Jesus to heal. That moment for you right now to get up off your mat, to stand back up to your feet and begin to move into the new life, the new normal that Jesus intended for you. Parker Palmer, he said it this way, wholeness does not mean perfection. It means embracing brokenness as an integral part of life. Can we just agree together today that the old norm needs to become the old you? The old norm you've been laying on and living out for so long. Maybe you've even gotten comfortable. You may have even been a follower of Christ for a while. But you know, if you're honest, you become stale and stagnant in the norm of that relationship with him. Is it possible that this season has lowered you down again in front of him? Lowered you to a place where you can actually encounter him again? Now, every week we've been encouraging you to commit a verse to memory. And this week it's found in 2 Corinthians and it really reflects this season of new normal. I want to read it to you and then we'll repeat it back together again. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation, the new normal has come. The old has gone. The new is here. 
As you're sitting there watching today, I want to just encourage you. I'm going to read it one more time. I want to just encourage you. Take a screenshot. Mark it down. Find it in your notes. Commit this to memory. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And this new norm is something that will bring life. Something that will not disappoint. The old has gone. The new is here. Let me pray for you today. Father, right now in Jesus' name, we just come and in this season of so much chaos, we pray, God, that you would help us to find the spiritual ground and the life ground that we can gain. God, that we would focus our eyes on you, that we would lower ourselves right in front of you for healing, for transformation, for change. God, I pray that we would leverage this time. God, that you would even help us again to reset on this day as we prepare for the days and the weeks ahead. God, change us, transform us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.